Hello, Sober Town, and welcome to another Sober Town podcast. My name is Polly, and I'm about to welcome you aboard the Sober Train to ride with us into the wonderful world of sobriety. Uh, before I introduce some very, very special people this morning, because this is a this is a very early morning podcast. Yes, I'm only halfway through a cup of tea. Um, I want to give a shout out to the I Am Sober app, IAS, because all of us here on this podcast this morning met and formed uh, friendships, support, etc. through the I Am Sober app. And also the I Am Sober app is where a good friend, Drifter, got the, the little kernel of our bright idea to set up a website and a podcast to help those still struggling to get sober. And on that app, which is SoberTownPodcast.com, you will find all your resources to help you build a toolbox. We have the wonderful Todd in Australia who works extremely hard creating blogs and he not only types his blogs, but he does an audio for those blogs. So you can listen while you're walking. You can listen and read whatever way you want. We also have all these podcasts. Uh, they are across all the platforms that do podcasts. So you can find us. Just type in Sobertown. You will come to Sobertown. And this morning, we are riding the Sober Train. And we have the beautiful lady who lives 10 seconds at a time, Molly. Good morning, Molly. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Glad to be here with my coffee. Let's get it going. Yeah. And alongside in this uh, train is King. Good morning, King. Good morning, Polly. Good morning, all. Nice to be here. I was just, I was just thinking, you know, we've got Polly, Molly. If Drifter was jolly and I could be Polly, we could be Molly. <laughs> And coming to us on a dark, distant highway is our good friend Drifter in his truck. Good morning, Drifter. Good morning, Sobertown. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking the same thing, King. I was thinking <laughs> that um, about the, the Polly Molly thing. Jolly. What's really funny is in high school, there was always a girl named Holly in my classes, and we would get confused all the time. Holly and Polly. <laughs> it was my mom that called me Polly or Paul. I'm not saying what she said when I was in the doghouse, but that was, uh, have you ever had your mother call you by your full name and then you know oh, you're yeah. in trouble? Oh, all oh the my time. God. Yeah. Your middle name comes in, doesn't it? It's not yes. just your first uh -huh. name. <laughs> I had two middle names, so when she used both, that was when it was really bad. Yeah, me too, because I'm a Catholic, so I got conf uh, my confirmation name was Bernadette. So it was a full long, when I got Bernadette thrown in there, I thought, oh my God, duck. But anyway, the topic was uh, suggested, and it's a good topic actually for us who are getting sober. It was suggested by Mr. Drifter. So Drifter, I'm going to look to you to introduce this topic that you've got us up at the crack of bloody dawn riding this train. So come on, mister. Well, I was, um, you and I, Paul, you've been talking about sitting in it for a long time and how people sit in it. And I was thinking last night, how are we going to talk about this topic of sitting in it? Because it, it really depends on where you're at in your walk, right? Yeah. Because if you're at day zero, um, you're trying to probably not sit in it. But if you you have a little experience, 
uh, maybe you can sit in it. But um, my attitude has kind of been like, don't sit in it, um, confront it. But I, I think we all have different kind of uh, ways we look at sitting in it, don't we? We do. And um, the, the, a good title for it is how to sit with painful emotions, because when we give up drinking, the one thing we have to start doing is dealing with our emotions, because it's, that's the one thing we shut down with our alcohol. OK, well, then there's another. Um, are we sitting with an emotion or are we sitting with cravings? Well, craving is an emotion, isn't it? Um, yeah, to me, it, it's it an emotion. Anybody else um, so, feel that way? Molly, craving, would you say craving was an emotion? Um, I mean, for me, they were all often tied to emotions. Like I would have a certain emotion which would then trigger a craving. So I don't, I don't think you can really separate them per se, but um, you know, maybe there are different ways. I think there are different ways to like handle a certain emotion, like a very deep sadness or a very intense anger or like a very strong depression versus like recognizing you have a craving and what to do about that. Like, I think there might be two separate ways to kind of handle those scenarios, but they're for me, they're, you know, close together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because us girls, we, we are very emotional people. I mean, how many times did we come home and we think, Oh God, I've had a crap day. And all of a sudden your cure for it was a glass of wine or whatever mm -hmm. our, our current drink of choice was. King, how do you feel about it? Exactly the same, that your emotion drives, drives you to the craving. Um, just like you said, you'd get home. If I'm stressed or if I just don't want to deal with something, I would run to the bottle. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's as simple as that. So like Molly said, I think they're definitely tied. Uh, but I agree with Drifter. The sitting in it, that's even an uncomfortable phrase for me. I feel like I'm sitting in shit. Sorry, but that's exactly how it makes me feel, even just to think about sitting in it. So it's either deal with it. Or should they say shit and get, or get mm -hmm. off the pot? Yep. That's exactly the way I look at it. And it's the same with cravings. Um, I just disengage. I mean, I can't, I can't let anything to do with the devil or the monster in my head come near me. I just cannot because I've worked so hard to keep it at bay. Mm -hmm. And the more if I sit in it and I let him come in, then I'm giving him attention that I've never given him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you feel, Drifter? Did you hear well, that? I feel, I, yeah, I, I feel that um, after listening to like Mark uh, Lewis, that that like cravings uh, actually spark desire, right? And desire is a really heavy emotion, mm -hmm. and it can be overwhelming. And I, I think we got have to kind of look at it in a couple different ways. Um, who we're trying to help. Um, are we trying to help somebody further along in their sobriety or are we trying to help somebody um, like just get through today with their drinking, mm -hmm. just make it through tonight. And that's, I think that's where my focus is, is helping people abstain long enough to where they can start rewiring their brain. Does that make sense? Get some distance between them and the alcohol. 
work to help them get some distance between them and the alcohol. Because we all know the first seven days are the hardest because the first seven days, the alcohol is still working its way through your body. And you do get some huge emotions going on through those first seven days. And working through those emotions is extremely hard. Um, my Everybody has a different way of coping. Um, Molly, if you get like that, that you have to work through um, a painful emotion. Because let's face it, we drank to... to to um, mask painful emotions we didn't want to face painful emotions so if you had to sit with a painful emotion or as drifter says sit in it what is your coping mechanism for doing that because we're trying to give people ideas and tools that they can go to right um honestly like my my tools have remained largely the same from day one until now they just, it's like, it's like if you have like a screwdriver versus a power drill, it's like just more effective now, but it's the same kind of tool, you know what I mean? <laughs> so um, for me though, it's, it was recognizing that I'm allowed to have emotions because a lot of my drinking was feeling like I had failed because I had a negative emotion. Like mm -hmm. I, I attributed feeling sad or stressed with my lack of ability to quote unquote handle things. Right. So if I would, I had like not only the feeling of that emotion, but the feeling of failure every time I felt a negative emotion. So it was like a double whammy. So, um, and I'm sure a lot of other people who are really hard on themselves and have like that streak of perfectionism can kind of relate because, you know, it's not, it's never enough to just actually feel sad. You're like, dang it. I'm so stupid for feeling sad, which makes it even worse, you know? So, um, in the beginning, I, I realized that I could talk to people about it and, or even just post on the IAS app, just somehow just writing it all down. And there were times I made a whole post and I didn't even post it, but just the act of expressing what I was feeling somehow made it less impactful in my head because it, it like organized my thoughts for lack of a better term. It wasn't just all sitting in my head and, you know, just eating at me. I kind of expressed it and let it out. And especially when I would actually talk to other people, because I was already ashamed of my emotion, right? So, you know, that whole Brene Brown thing, like shame can't live darkness. So I was expressing my shame about feeling sad and then therefore expressing my sadness to someone else. And I received like love back. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I don't have to feel like crap about this. Like I can talk to someone. And that's still what I do now. Like I just reach out. Like if I feel overwhelmed, I, I actually have people I can talk to <laughs> like Debs. I've done that before, you know, like uh, I have a bunch of um, different groups here and there, but yeah, it's, it's all about connection for me instead mm -hmm. of isolation, you know? Yeah. Because um, pe people tend to isolate when they're feeling um, like you say, sad, overwhelmed you, and you you have a tendency to go into yourself rather than reaching out and like you said by reaching out and I think this is um the the best thing about the I am sober app is it's almost like a journal because you're getting the emotions and whatever's going on in here out into a post or even like you said just typing it out even if you don't post it it's getting the thoughts out of your head 
And then you're getting rid of negative thoughts and getting positivity back. Does that make sense to you, Debs? About that one yeah, about absolutely. journaling? Yeah. Yeah. I do a lot of it, as you know. And even with books that I have read, it was getting back to, I really understood that I had to rewire my brain and my thoughts. So for, I know that you do, what do you say that your computer's got where you listen and you read at the same time? Immersive reading. Immersive right. reading. So what I would do is I would read and I would actually write in an exercise book part, basically rewrite the points of the book that signified with me to reinforce it into my mind because I knew my brain was foggy. I knew that my retention was going to be limited compared to what I had done. And now I've got books of books on books. But, you know, it does work and I compartmentalise things. I dealt with a lot of things during my drinking. So I had faced things that I needed to and went to therapy and did all that. And I now I can put it in those little boxes and put it away and I'm okay with it. But in the, in the beginning, we're all just dealing with white knuckling. We're dealing with everything hitting us at once. And because in our brain, especially mine, was how am I even going to do this? How am I going to live without alcohol? And that fear was so great that I was even so proud of myself after 24 hours. You think I'd won lotto because to me it was that far removed. It was that far out of reach. So I had to deal with one thing at a time and I still try and do that. I think it's the only way we can go. That makes any of that makes sense to you, Drifter, what the ladies have just said. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of this conversation, um, that like that started this off with you and I, Polly, was um, people telling other people, "We'll just sit with it," and it's like, yeah. "Well, what what does that mean?" Mm-hmm. When you're when we're telling people to sit with it, what do they mean? Because a lot of people, they're just coming in; they have no idea what they're sitting with, right? Mm-hmm. So right. they're coming in; um, they've got this monster in their head that's devouring their brain. It's activating feelings, emotions, desires, um, making them sweat. <laughs> you know, it's even, it even, uh, it controls so much different parts of our body trying to manipulate us to get us to drink. And we're going through all this and we have people coming in. We'll just sit with it. And that's um, where I'm at. What does that mean? What does that mean to you guys? Well, it, here's, here's an example, and this is from a um, the lady who wrote this. is um, It's a book that you actually read, I think, or had on audio, which was uh, Calming the Storm. Is that it? Is that the book you had, Calming the Storm? It is. And she actually says, and sitting with our emotions simply means allowing them and resisting the urge to get rid of pain and not judging ourselves for having the emotions. Um, and when we tell people, and sit, sit in it doesn't, that mm. isn't an expression I like. And I know it's an expression, Drifter, that you personally hate. Well, actually, I've, I've, I've been kind of, I've changed at first, I was like really negative about it, but then there's different ways of looking at it, depending where you're at. And then I think that's where we have to choose. How are we going to use this? Because if, when somebody is coming into these, say, coming into day zero, day one, day seven, and somebody's and they're 
they're fighting these cravings and somebody's telling them to just sit with it, they have no idea about calming the storm, mm -hmm. um, the biology of desire, um, rewired, or dopamine nation. They don't have any idea. And they're coming into these rooms and they're looking for advice just to get through the day. And somebody comes and tells them, sit in it. What do they do? And that's, that was my point. Yeah, and then it, it, it's up to us here in the community that are further along in our journey to go back to these people in day zero, day one, one week, and give them the helpful tools that we've learned from, which is, as you say, the books. And some people will, I mean, I don't know if anybody else meditates. I take, I can take five minutes to just sit quietly. Um, and to me, Working my way through emotions, you and I, Drifter, as you very well know, we talked every day for months on my walks. And in a lot of ways, you helped me work through a lot of emotions uh, in those early days. So we don't need to tell people to sit with it, sit in it. If someone does tell them that, we've got no control over that. That is someone else's words, not ours, because we know we wouldn't say it. Anybody else agree with me on that one? Well, but but we're seeing this, and that's why we're having the discussion mm -hmm. because somebody may be able to say, "Okay, but sit with it," and then they may be able to tell that person how to sit with it. Because Molly, I mean, that's what you've been doing from the beginning, right? You've been able yeah, to like, sit. I'm, I feel like if you say like a a catchphrase, for lack of a better term, like that, you need to explain what it means and. Um, you know, you can't just like leave it at that and then just be like, bye. Okay. Figure it out. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, you could, that would be kind of a jerk move, but, um, like I, I use my own personal experiences. Um, I've learned in sobriety so far that basically all you can do is share what has worked for you really well and hope that it resonates with someone. You can't exactly be like, like pointing a finger and telling them like, you need to do this because that people don't respond to that. You know, you're like, Hey, listen, like, I see that you're experiencing this emotion. I've experienced this emotion in the following ways. And this is what I have done to deal with this emotion, you know, and just kind of guide people through the process. And I think no matter what step you're at, what day you're at, what month year, you know, like that's kind of the very basics of being like a healthy human is understanding how to handle your emotions and how to work through them without wanting to numb them, you know? Okay. Yeah, but at day, at day zero, we don't, we don't, I don't think that we have that, um, that skill yet. Even of, like when I crawled into IAS, um, <laughs> I was pretty screwed up. And you know what? I'm just really learning how to deal with some of my emotions right now, 16 months later, but I, I may be slower than some people. Um, but there's got to, and that's why I like that we're doing this because we're talking about this and maybe other people will have ideas how to convey um, sitting with it or, you know, how they, how they approach that. But right now you see a lot of people on different milestones suggesting to others without expanding on what they mean. Well, just sit with it. That's what I just sit with it. And then you're like, well, what the hell does that mean? What am I supposed to do? 
Ken. Yeah, look, define the emotion. What does sit with it mean? Okay. And I think, Polly, it gets back to the one that you talked about a long time ago, which is halt. Even yeah. if someone gives you, you need something very simplistic when you're first starting out that makes sense. So when they say sit with it, maybe just ask yourself the question, am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? And if it's none of those things, then what am I? Probably frustrated, I would think, that would be a, a big emotion that was, especially for me, because what do I do with myself? And if you're jittery or if you're anxious, when you first start out like I was, sitting with it, and I don't even like the word in it, but even sitting with these emotions is difficult enough. So you must identify what it is. Then if I identify that I am frustrated, what is it that I can do to calm myself down? I mean, HALT is a really good, simple one to start out with. What do you guys think? I think that's a real, that's one I used. Oh, all uh, the time. And, and yeah. pause. Um, pause became a big word for me because... If anything, I, I paused and thought about what was going on. Yeah. And Drifter knows I, the pause became huge for me. And I know I'm further along in my journey, but it doesn't mean to say I don't get the same, a lot of the same emotions. I, I you know, my emotions haven't turned off from what they were. I still get my emotions even 16 months later, and I has still have to work my way through them. And as many of you, as you guys know, um, I had a huge thing happen this weekend. And while I didn't sit with it, I, while I was walking, my mind was working my way through the emotions. First, I started off angry and sad and upset because, as we know, um, someone close lost a 26-year-old. Through the damn evil of addiction, the bastard, he, ugh. and I had to work through those emotions. And <clears throat> Drifter knows how I felt because he called me, bless him, and he got an earful. <laughs> because I was walking, and all I could see was, I'm going to walk, I'm going to walk, I'm going to walk. But then after I'd let myself cry it out, which is my way of, of releasing, it's my only way of. When something's too big inside, I cry. But over the space of three days, I worked my way through those emotions of angry, sad, loss, and pain to, I got to a point yesterday where I thought, okay, my answer to this now is, what can I do to help the, my sister-in-law? putting aside my anger and my sadness and taking a, um, what is my positive step? What can I do in a positive way to help my sister-in-law? So when people come in at day zero and we go and we read, we need to look and say, okay, what positivity can I give to this person to help them deal with this? Any, any, Anybody go and jump back on on that one? <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> okay, when you guys say pause, what does pause mean? It means to me, rather than going in half a leather, when you know yourself, um, you, as you know, were quick to anger. And that's part and parcel of one of the emotions we work through, isn't it? Anger. And a lot of the time we're angry at ourselves. But... It, if someone says something that 
I think is very, very negative. I have to stop and pause before I answer and think about my answer because I have to be proactive rather than reactive because if I keep getting reactive, then I'm I'm deep in negative emotions. I don't want to be deep in negative emotions. I have to pause. Does that make any sense? Okay, so when we're talking about pausing and... Um, I think a lot of what I was confused about in early sobriety was what the heck I needed and what, what it was that I really was trying to get from myself or from someone else, because I, I was so used to um, like numbing myself and I didn't understand how to like process my emotions because I had just been numb for so long. So it was, it was really about understanding like, oh, okay, so this is anger. This is sadness. This is frustration rather than just going. Cause anytime I felt anything strongly, I wanted to just drink it away. <laughs> so I'm still understanding my own emotions. Like I'm almost at 11 months in two days. And I'm, I feel like I'm reaching a new level of figuring out what I actually need for myself and what I need from other people. Yeah. And I, I've had this conversation with Drifter, who's muted at the moment. Maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> hey, hey, Molly. So here I am. I'm at day one, and I'm telling you, I'm having these really bad cravings. What do I do? Tell me some. Tell me what do I need to do just to get through the next hour? Oh, sure. Okay. So I would give you examples of things that I did. Uh, my first ever streak was eight days and those eight days felt like four years. It was the longest eight days of my life. Um, I remember there were times when I would just pace around my house. I just couldn't sit still. I like even just the mere action of moving my body needed to be a distraction. Um, one time I, I was living alone at the time. And so one time I just like put on a, a bathing suit and got in my shower with like cleaning gloves and bleach wipes and just bleach my whole shower. Um, just anything, literally anything to pass time because in, in the first day or so, it's all about just finding ways to distract yourself and, and not focus on the cravings. So in that way, it's kind of sitting with it, you know, what about you King. Same well, question. Are you sitting with it when you're distracting your, yourself are you sitting with it when you're distracting that's well then we can get into semantics because like you know you're not you're not making it go away like there's the school of thought where you either accept an emotion or you fight it away right and so you can do the same with the craving and to me the craving is going to exist whether or not you want it to so you might as well just accept that it's there find ways to deal with it and then move on because i think a lot of well, at least for me, a lot of my problem was like getting a paralyzing fear or a paralyzing emotion where I just was overwhelmed. So like moving through a craving was like acknowledging it and then realizing, okay, this craving is here. I understand why I'm having this craving. So I'm going to do X, Y, and Z about this craving. So like sitting with it for me is like a part in the process. It's like, acknowledging it's my like own you, 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 but you distract yourself 
while you're, you're doing that so it doesn't overwhelm you? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, because you know, you, you don't want to focus on it. Like there's a saying I like, you can, you can look at the darkness, just don't stare. So you can, you can look at it, you can acknowledge it, but if you, if you just let it overwhelm you, then that's when things get kind of weird, you know, and, and unhelpful. But, but I think just taking a moment to pause, I do this when I have panic attacks because I have an anxiety history from PTSD and stuff. And um, I find that if I just tell myself like, I'm anxious. I am feeling anxious right now. There is anxiety inside of me. I am acknowledging it. And just saying that and like sitting with it in that moment kind of makes it lose power because I'm, I'm not trying to like fight it, fight it, fight it. I'm just saying this is happening. You know, I'm going to accept that it's happening and I'm going to deal with it and move on. So that's what kind of sit with it means in my head anyway. About you, King, what do, if I said to you, sit with it, what would you say? If someone came uh, to you, what would you say? This is just so indicative of how we're so wired differently because, Molly, I do the exact opposite of everything that you've just said. And this is good. This is good for the listeners because I knew I was in the fight of my damn life and I had to talk to this addict voice. I knew the cravings were there and either it was going to win or I was going to win. And by hell or high water, I was not sitting with any emotion that that thing was given to me. I kept very, very busy. I played a lot of music. I did a lot of cleaning. I cleaned out drawers. I did whatever I could to fight off. And I really did feel that I was in the battle of my life Um, because there were times, a lot of the time I was super frustrated. I was angry at myself. And then after I started to feel a little bit better, I thought, you know what, you can do this because I have battled certain things in my life where I've had to do a lot on my own and I've had to rely on myself. And I just felt at that particular time, more than ever, I needed to dig really deep and not let myself down, I think. So the emotion I was with was, I will get you. I will because you've had enough of me. So I was completely, my approach was completely different. And my approach is still the same today to be honest with you. Now, talking to somebody else, if somebody came to me and I would have to look at their personality to think what I would think that resonated with them, okay, because I would not tell, if Molly had just said that to me about herself, I would never give her the advice of what I have just done for me because that's I know that's not going to work for her. So you've got to match it to the particular person. And when I read posts, I try and put myself in their position of thinking what do I think would work for them as advice? And again, you know, you can't be telling people what to do. And I, I never do. But if they ask for it, then sure. And it does help if you don't, if you do know a bit of background about somebody's personality. But everybody's different. And I love the fact that we're having the conversation. But you two both said exactly the same thing. And although you were, your approach was different, you still did the same thing in those early days, the distraction. We kept busy. Yeah, kept, we kept busy, busy. The distraction. Yeah. You both did that. And I think that's that's one of the things we do tell people in the early days and i know drifter you're you're not distraction I, you're I confrontation i just i distracted polly <laughs> yes you did actually <laughs> right? you distracted I just, I just, me and i i let you confront <laughs> well you know what i don't i don't really know if i'm com- this is what i'm doing mm-hmm. and this is what i did and the, and and i think this can work and it's something that we can tell people 
Because like willpower, we know willpower only lasts so long and we know distractions only last so long. Uh, um, and, but there are things that we can do and there's different techniques of, of what I'm going to mention. But from what I've been learning, we've wired our brains with the habitual habit of drinking, right? This is what we do. And then on top of it, building these, putting these neurons in our heads and stuff um, and building the, this pathway that's very powerful that it controls our desires, our goals, it controls all these, these different things. And so how do we start unwinding that mess up there or at least start building new pathways to confront the old pathways? And I think for me, and I've been talking about this and I just put up a post again. I put up the same post about the attic voice, you guys, for what, a year, a year and a half. But what you're, um, what you're talking about now is, would you think that was too intense to explain to, to someone in the first week of sobriety? Well, no, but I'm not explaining all that. I'm not going to explain all that. This is what I'm going to tell the person. Um, become aware of your what you're um become aware of what you're feeling what you're thinking um okay i'm feeling something now that's going on and it's not normal and then clarify it okay i i think it, i want to drink my my um pulse is racing my you know my heart's racing i feel flushed i feel all, all these things so you're just kind of like acknowledging like you said too um, Molly, it's, you're kind of just acknowledging everything that's going on around you, how you're feeling, what's bringing this on. And then you, you turn it all around, play the movie forward that we've talked about, but here's something i found out that happens when we're, when we're doing this, it seems like when we start talking to that voice that's in our head, and I don't even know if it's confrontation is the right word. It's, it's more like, um, discuss, having a discussion with your own mind of what's going on inside of you. And when you do that, it seems like that overwhelming, um, crushing uh, desire or whatever it is where you just feel so much friggin' anxiety, it just kind of like melts it away. In fact, I've almost like thought about it, how Brene Brown talks about the shame that you were talking about, Molly, how when you um, expose the shame, it can't survive. And it's kind of like the same with these cravings because a lot of people want to pretend that they're not there, use distraction or whatever, uh, or just push through it, right? Use all their might just to push through it instead of like um, going through the motions and becoming aware of it, clarifying what they're feeling and just going uh, and then going through the process, okay, if I take that drink, these are going to be, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And this is going to happen. So there's two things that's going on here. The first thing <laughs> you do is you're knocking down the craving, right? All of a sudden um, it's not as strong. And this could almost be like a form of distraction too, because you're not just focused on what the cravings, um, how it's bear, bearing its weight down on you. You're working through it. And all, the second thing it's doing is starting the process of rewiring your brain, right? You're, the first time you do this, you're, you're weaving those first new 
threads on a new pathway. Does that make sense? It does. And it, it, when we go back to what I talked about, what happened to me at the weekend, you can you can almost say the same kind of things. I was aware of what was going on, the emotions, et cetera. And um, I clarified what was going on, my feelings, et cetera. And then I turned it into and turned it around into what can I do to help? So I did use that at the weekend. But what you're doing, what the, the word that came to me there when you were talking about that, and it's what Molly said about her anxiety, is the pause. You pause and you talk to yourself. What am I feeling? Here we go back to emotion again. And shivers, they're emotions in your body. And the pause is you talk to yourself. All right, what am I feeling? What is going on? What can I do? Okay, I'll put my shoes on and I'll go for a walk. It's, it's whatever can get you, put the distance between the last drink and the end of maybe the first week, which is seven days. It takes seven days to get the alcohol completely clean from your body. So for those first seven days, no, you don't sit with it. You can't sit with it. It's impossible to tell someone in seven days to sit with it to me. You, you have to find out, like King said, you do, you read through some posts, etc. You find out what is going on. What are they feeling? What are they thinking? And then you can say to them, well, I had, like Molly said, I had that feeling. I had that thought. And I distracted myself by putting on my bathing suit, getting my little rubby gloves on and scrubbing the shower. And it, it took me through that time and gave me enough pause from that thought of running to the alcohol to where I can think my mind through it. Because while you're doing these mundane tasks, your mind is constantly working and you're talking to yourself like what you were saying. Does this, anybody else feel this makes sense? Well, I think it's really important about what you're talking um, to your mind with, right? I mean, that's, I think, what we're defining because it's really cool we're having this conversation that when you're pausing it, what are you doing when you're pausing or even when you're cleaning the shower um, in your bathing suit, is your mind just blank and you're just smelling the bleach having a good time, right? What are we thinking about when when we're, we're distracting ourselves? And I think that's a really... Uh, important thing because um, are we just not thinking about anything when we're walking, when we're cleaning the shower, we have, our mind is still working. And what are we putting into our mind when we're doing these things? I had like, I had like two kind of pathways in this, in those moments. Um, There were times when I felt like I was engaged and I wanted to do the quote unquote work of reprogramming my brain. So I would listen to sober podcasts, um, namely the, this naked mind podcast. Um, I would just put on different naked life stories that Annie Grace would interview people. And I, I know Joe probably listened to like 300 of those <laughs> in the first mm-hmm. few months. It was like, I just always had them on, but then there were times where that would get really exhausting if I were listening to podcasts for two or three hours in a row. So um, I always had like just a series to binge, you know, just to like take my mind out of reality. But um, one thing I never did was allowed myself to get into my own head too far. So like, I think for example, in the shower scenario, I'm pretty sure like 
I had my phone, like some sort of show playing on my phone. And I just had my phone like set nearby on the toilet. So I was like watching the show <laughs> while I was cleaning. But um, I mean, I would, if I were walking, I was usually listening to podcasts. Um, if I was in the car, I was usually listening to podcasts, but I, I was never idle. Um, at least in the beginning, it was all about just redirecting that energy mm -hmm. as it came up. Yeah. What about you, King? When you were cleaning out closets and all that kind of stuff? What were no, you well, the first two weeks, just to say what was in your head, I'll tell you exactly what was in my head. I want a drink and I want it now. That's the only thing that consumed my mind. That was the only thing I could think about. I couldn't think about anything else because my routine was blown out of whack. Something that I had done, my learnt behaviour was blown out of whack and I did not know what to do with myself. So as a result of that, I didn't know, I didn't have the tools, I didn't find IAS for three months. I got on YouTube. I, like Molly, tried to self-educate and I started reading books and I found that, you know, obviously the naked mind, which changed my life. And it was really overwhelming. And that's why I felt like I was in this battle because it was constant. It would not leave me alone. It was exhausting. And you have the physical um, things that you're uncomfortable with too. You know, my moods were up and down, which you couldn't get near me. I really had to throw myself in my room and just be alone because I was not pleasant to be around. And that's what comes with years and years of drinking. You know, luckily I didn't have the tremors, but by God, I was not in a good place for the first, I reckon, 10 to, 10 to 14 days. It took me a long time. And I was physically sick, so I was vomiting. I was purging the devil. There was really nasty things going on. So it was the most difficult thing that I've ever had to do. So this, that was all I was consumed with in the first 14 days. So it's very difficult to even advise people in the first 14 days. I, ideally, it probably would have been good to have a nurse or somebody sit with me and to help me distract, but I didn't reach out to anybody. I had nobody, and that was difficult. So Molly's right in the sense of reaching out, but I unfortunately wasn't in that situation. And I really, what? looking back, I don't think I wanted to help. I think I knew I had to do it on my own. Sorry. And once you put the, the, the space between you and the last drink, like you say, 14 days, did you have um, a little bit of a mind, a mind and a mood change? Whereby, because you said you started to investigate, Annie Grace came into your life. Annie Grace came into all of our lives, by the way. Yeah. She was yeah. their guru. <laughs> she was their guru. <laughs> Annie Grace got us sober. And Drifter, yeah. she was the first one in Drifter's life. So once you'd put that space between you and the alcohol, which is what we're trying to tell people in these first days, you've got to work at putting space between you yeah. and your last drink. Yeah. How did you go? Yeah, because then no, all I, of a sudden. Go, go on, Drifter. I think what King just said is so huge because um, I had to do it too. Um I had to go through the pain. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot uh, of pain. Not drinking. And uh, if somebody would have told me what, how, what I do or what anybody does, I would have still had that pain to go through, you know? And um, there's moments like that where we're just going to have to go through the pain. And then I like Molly, what Molly's saying too, she had two different methods. Um, one where she she got into the podcast and everything and and then then her other method 
And it just seems like you guys are confirming everything I'm saying that I've been telling Polly for the last year. Sitting in it doesn't work. I don't think sitting in it works. And I've been telling you for the last year, pause. You you've changed tr tremendously in the last year in the the way you address things even is so totally different, which just goes to show how your mind becomes so active in a way it should have been active all along because you are so different. And the way we all post now is different. If we were to go back to our day one posts and our day two, three, four, whatever, and then the posts we're putting out now, we can see how clarity has come into our minds, I think. Yeah, I like going back and looking at, I actually did a real deep dive, like as far back as I could go on IAS a few weeks ago. And um, it didn't have all the way back to my very first post. I think it just had the last year. Um, but even like a year ago for me would have been in the middle of like my, my two or three months of resets when I was starting out. Because I started in the beginning of June and I didn't get a good streak going until November. Um, so, but it is very different. Um, a lot of it in the beginning for me was being very like sequential and like trying to really put my emotions in order. Like, I, I feel like if I could metaphorically or physically describe like how my head was in the beginning, it was just like a tornado. Like I didn't have any control over what thought would come at what time it was just like, I was existing in a constant state of mental chaos in the beginning. Cause like I, I was very unpredictable. My emotions were unpredictable. How I would react to my emotions was unpredictable, but I knew that, you know, um, I was told anything that tells you to drink is a lie. And so I'm like, all right, well, if I think I need a drink because of X, Y, and Z, then that's a lie. Then I have to find the truth. Because if this is a lie, that means there's another path that that's a truth path, you know, because all the reasons that I had to drink were reasons where like, oh, I can't handle this. Oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I need this to do like, you know, have a better time. Oh, I need this to, to be better at this, you know, and it was all about me not being good enough or not, not having everything I already needed when I really did like the whole time. It's just that alcohol lied to me and told me that. I was going to need it to be a better person. So um, that's that was me in the beginning was just slowly uncovering the fact that I'm I'm a person whole and I'm I'm like enough without having any alcohol in me. That was that was how I got through my beginning anyway. Yeah. Uncovering, uncovering too, wasn't it? Painful. Yeah. Yeah, because like my cravings, like I said, you know it wasn't enough that I was just sad or anxious or afraid. I just, I felt like a failure because I was sad and anxious and afraid. So I, I was not only like having those emotions, but I had to tell myself, I'm like, you know, this doesn't mean you're a terrible person. This doesn't mean you're weak. This doesn't mean you're failing, you know? And there were a few times that I actually quit the app because the pressure of knowing people were succeeding got too much for me. Um, I was comparing myself to other people way too much, which is still a thing I struggle with. I think a lot of us do in this social media age. But, um, you know, I actually deleted the app twice in the first two months because I just I couldn't stand 
seeing people succeeding where I was failing, or at least that's how I viewed it at the time. I now know that like I was learning and everyone learns at their own pace. But in the beginning, when you have such like poor self-confidence, like I did, I just felt like crap about myself all the time because I'm like, why can't I do this? Everyone else is doing this look, but it's really not true. <laughs> like everyone else is not doing this. We're all working on it, but it, it, you're isolated so much from all that drinking that, that you believe this is like just your fight. And the more you open up and realize so many other people are going through the same thing, you know, it's way easier to handle when you realize there's a whole army of people behind you if you want to access them. Yeah. You're not alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and to Molly's point, when we all started out, we felt crap about ourselves. I, I think I can speak for the four of us. We didn't feel good, nope. you know, of, of what we're, the situation that we were in. We were depressed. We were, you know, dark. It was a horrible place to be in. And then I decided that, okay, I was going to be my own best friend, and I've said this before. I became my own best friend and coach, and what would I do? How would I approach this? I started educating myself and reading those books. And from Annie Grace, I went to William Porter. I went to Craig Beck. I went to all of them. And the one thing I knew was, and you just said it, Molly, alcohol had lied to me, and that was something I was absolutely certain about. So I wouldn't let my friend or my best friend treat herself like this and be down on herself and all these other things. And when you get to the point and you do, you have to accept, and we talked about this before, you have to accept and forgive yourself. And it is only then that you can start working on improving and retraining your mind and saying, I'm not the person that I was yesterday. I've made this fantastic decision. This is going to be good for me. My life is going to improve, but I need to change the way I think. I think when you get people, when you get people in the early days, um, what you if it's someone on day seven it would be to go and read posts from other people not too far ahead because like molly said that can be a little overwhelming to see so many successes when you're really struggling to get past the first 24 hours but to to go a few days ahead to go a week ahead if you're on day one look at the someone on day eight and nine you know and go back and read from their post on day one to day eight and nine and just see how they are doing and then follow, you know, follow people, look for what has worked for them. And, um, I'm just laughing at your cat on your shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) He wants to play. Um, you know, go back to those, don't go further too far ahead. We tell people to, to read, milestones and posts but I think in the early days I would say to someone this is what what I did you know I put my bathing suit on and I cleaned the shower and I I I distracted myself just to get some space between me and the alcohol because that's what you've got to do in that first week is you don't tell them to sit with it you I I think because to sit with it like Drifter said it's that's a ridiculous statement to someone in the first week really because all they're looking for is help. And if someone says, well, just sit with it, I would slap them up the arse or up the back of the head and say, off, you know, I'm struggling here. That's not the best advice you can. If that's the best advice you can give me, then go away. You're not what I need. You need to find people who can help. And my thought is, I really, really wanted this this time. Because like Drifter, I'd tried to get sober before 
I really, really wanted it this time because I'd reached a point of, God, I want to die. Um, so like everybody, like you other three, I delved into the lies of alcohol because alcohol is a huge lie. Like Molly said, you have to uncover the truth. And that drift of what you've been doing, uncovering the truth, King, what you've been doing, uncovering the truth that alcohol is the biggest fucking lie in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody else? Got- <laughs> so I, I found something that's really cool watching the people on, on day zero. And right with like maybe like with one to three days, um, right away they're networking with each other. And we do the same thing. They're mm-hmm. networking each other, getting to know each other, um, and they're building their little sober crew um, and they're encouraging each other. And I, I just barely caught that maybe like a month ago. I was like, oh, wow, check that out. Uh, and, and I didn't say anything. I was just looking at um, a few days where th- these people were going back and forth and, and sharing and you can do this. And I think that's huge for the beginning of when we're getting sober is to build those little, our, our little sober crews like that we have. The connections. Yeah. 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 And, and for me, it was huge. Sorry, it just was because I was alone and I thought that I was the only one like me doing this in this world. And when you discover other people that, oh, my God, I am not alone, it is the greatest feeling. And the other thing, too, I was listening to Erica Spiegelman and she has got the Rewired book. Um, and she tell you know she says and I've always believed in this and anything you want to achieve take baby steps you know and I do agree with you Polly have a look at what, what I did was look at people ahead of me okay well they're there how did they get there I was curious and that's when you do become curious about how do I do this and that then you start to custom design your own program like Drifter said you get your own tribe and all of a sudden things start falling into place as your days build but you have to do the work. You have to make the connections. You've got to think about, okay, you know, and believe in yourself that you can do it. I think belief in yourself and wanting it is a really big thing. Anyone who can get sober in isolation, I take my hat off to you because that is flipping huge because there's no way I could ever get sober in isolation. Like Drifter said, I need, I started following people and, when someone would comment on one of my posts, I'd maybe get one comment right at the beginning. I'd go back <laughs> and I'd comment there and say, thank you for your comment. And it it starts to form the connections. And then after a week, you've maybe got five or six people that, you're, you're, that are, are with you. And that feeling of not being alone in that first early days is huge. I couldn't do this in isolation. Anybody else? Come on. Oh, Yeah. It was, I mean, I'm, I'm normally, I'm an only child, right? I don't historically seek out other people. Um, I'm a very, like from a very early age, like even in my family, um, I didn't have any cousins around me at all till I was like 10. So I, I just was raised to be very independent and it's just like my base personality. So, um, you know, I realized though that like in sobriety, at least in the beginning that, and and still to this day, that that wasn't necessarily serving me to, to want to do all this by myself. And I, I know in the beginning, I realized that when I didn't want to do something, 
that thing I didn't want to do was exactly the thing I needed to do. Because I, I, there were times when I was like, oh, I shouldn't post, like, I'll, I can handle this, or, oh, I shouldn't read out, reach out to this person, I can handle it, you know, and then I, I, that became such a pattern with me, like, I'm like, that I can handle it voice, you know, and then I realized that was the attic voice, which was lying to me, but I, I was like, okay, well, if this is telling me that I shouldn't do it, that's probably what I, I, I should be doing. So there were so many posts back in the early days. It's like, I'm writing this per- precisely because my attic voice tells me I shouldn't write this. And then it just, you know, went on from there. Yeah. <laughs> but like you say, it's the attic voice, the lies that come into you. Drifty, yep. you're muted. If you want to tell us something, you better <laughs> mute. I, I, love, I love this because, I mean, We've got some great examples right now of more than just sitting in it and being overwhelmed. I mean, uh, we've got net, start building your network, uh-huh. start getting to know the people around you. Uh, so that means start, start writing and posting. And that's a form of journaling. That is a huge thing that gets you out of your head. Um, when that's not working, throw on your bikini and jump in the shower. Right? Yeah. <laughs> My shower that's was sparkling, <laughs> Whatever it takes, yeah. Um, um, talk to your to your voice. I'm just teasing, Molly. I got got tons of love for you, and but uh, Jamie would be pissed if she came home and I was in her bikini. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Jamie would be. Jamie would be. Excuse me, are you cleaning the shower? Oh, the no. oh, oh no. Jamie he's would be like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> she would be drug testing my ass, right? <laughs> <laughs> but there's so many things. There's so, we have so many options going for a walk. Um, as we're building our network, Polly, you and I became really good friends. Yep. And we we would talk on the phone every morning. And it, and it comes down to what are we going to do just to get through today, right? Because that's mm-hmm. all that matters. What just getting through today? Yeah, and um, you know, I w- I did a podcast uh, yesterday with Melancholy Cat, and he had these um, two big events, a three day seminar he went to, and then you know he's a he's um, uh, a high school teacher, and they took a bus, an eighteen hour bus trip to um to paris from denmark and he he was he was planned he he like let everybody in ias know what was going on and he he prepared himself for a few days before he went on these trips and he didn't drink on either trip and he was only in in the 50 day mark right and then um the other day driving home he gets bombarded with thoughts of drinking and it just took him down. And I asked him, what do you, what did you do different? And and it just blows my mind because we recognize this. He did all this planning to get to those big events. And then it didn't, he didn't do really do any planning just to get through that day. And then he was like, he got finally got to the attitude. Well, um, I would rather just drink than be miserable like this. Right. So I think just getting through today could be even more important than planning uh, to get through one a big moment. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. actually. Yeah. 
Yeah, know, because it gets back to the baby steps, doesn't it? It yep. gets back to baby and time management and plan your day. If it means that you're worried about getting through 24 hours, have a plan. Even if it's hour by hour, I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to go and do the grocery shopping. I don't know. Put on some music. Go and visit someone. Talk to someone. But have you – and the first bit of advice that was given to me by someone from school who was 25 years sober said, fill up your time. Get busy. Because it's going to be bang, bang, bang as soon as you sit and let it in. You and cannot, I mean the attic voice. Yeah, you can't give the lie real estate in your head. It, it, it just has to go. Um, you have to, like Drifter says, you have to shut it down. And you use whatever tool you can to shut it down, whether, like, like we've just said, bikini and clean the shower, clean out the closet, <laughs> lace up your shoes yeah. and go for a walk. Um, play drifter likes to play chess, so I mean, these kind of things they take your mind somewhere else, which is away from the lie. Be ready for the small craving that can turn into a friggin' oak tree in your mind within hours. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And you're only limited by your creativity and your imagination, right? As far as what to do, nothing is nothing is impossible. It really isn't. The good news is now I can actually, you know, sit with it now. And and I don't mean sit in it. I mean sit with it. But I can actually sit by myself and appreciate what is around me. So, listeners, there is good news. You will get to a point where that voice does diminish and doesn't come knocking as often. And as Drifter said, I couldn't agree more. It's the little things that can trigger you. And that's what you've got to be – that's what you've got to be ready for. So – it does change in that aspect. And that's cool but it's because later on you can, like you just said, King, later on you are able to sit with it. Polly, you are able to do um, yeah. amazing meditations upside down on a friggin' whiteboard. <laughs> right? <laughs> Some okay, I can get on my, I can do yoga <laughs> on my paddleboard. I love it because if I fall, I splash. Nothing <laughs> hurts. Brilliant. And, Dan Crenshaw wrote a book. Yeah. Dan Crenshaw wrote a book called Fortitude. And in his book, he does say some people say don't sweat the small stuff. Dan Crenshaw says, pay attention to the small stuff because if you don't, it leads to the big stuff. And that, and I read that, I list I had that on audio last year. And that one expression resonated with me because like I love I've learned to love my own company but I don't like being alone there's two different to me there's two different things yeah because I think when you like your own company you can sit with it because you're starting to like yourself you're starting to like where your head is going you're not starting to like where your life is going but by nature, yeah, once you get don't. once you get out of those cravings and stuff, um, then you can finally get into um, mindfulness. And when you you're able to get into mindfulness, you're able to sit with these emotions and examine them. But I just right. think it's almost impossible. And that's why I think it's so important to define when you're using sitting with it. Uh, I, I think it's a train wreck waiting to happen. Telling that to somebody that's uh, um, just trying to get sober, but somebody that's been sober a long time, it, it's life changing mm-hmm. to be able to do that. 
Elaine so, Eastguy, who built her website, <clears throat> she said that all she did for the first three months, and I think it is true because that gives you a good sense of distance from your last drink. Three months is a quarter of a year. All she did was throw everything at her sobriety, podcasts, yeah. books, quit all yeah. the quit lits, any apps, any YouTubes, anything like that. She threw everything at her sobriety. And if you truly want this, you truly want this, you will educate yourself. You will throw everything you can. Yeah. Even, even the kitchen sink, if you can pick it up, you'll throw everything you can into your sobriety, which is what mm-hmm. all four of us here have done this time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think a big part of that, too, is being incredibly humble in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I don't know, like, I'm a, like I said before, I'm a very, like, figure it out yourself, do it yourself kind of person. And I had to strip myself down metaphorically. Sometimes literally in the shower, (laughs) but but I had to strip myself down and really just admit, like, I have no clue what I'm doing. Absolutely none. Like absolutely Mm. nothing. I have never done this before. Uh, There it's stupid to think that I know a single thing about how to handle early sobriety. I know nothing. So um, I just listened a lot and I read things a lot and I just, I, I kind of became a sponge, you know, and not everything worked. Like I read some stuff or I heard some stuff. And I'm like, I don't know if I like that. That doesn't really apply to me, you know, which is fine. Like it's nothing has to, like everyone has their own story, but um, it, it's, you have to really understand that, you know, you don't got this. There isn't a, a for yeah. sure way to get through even a single day. And, um, the minute you are sure of yourself, like that's kind of when you need to start being worried because like my, my first couple streaks weren't longer than two weeks. And that's what ended up getting me. It was like, Oh, I've gone two weeks. I'm fine. I can do this. You know, complacency. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's what happens to everyone. But the, the quicker you realize that, you know, you don't know everything and there's always more to learn no matter how even people with like 20 years of sobriety will tell you they're still learning stuff you know and it's you're never going to get to a point where it's over where you're done learning because unfortunately society is so wrapped up in alcohol that you're never going to be in a point where you're not around it unless you like live in the middle of nowhere and you're like isolated and on farm but i mean if you turn on tv alcohol is there if you go out to dinner alcohol is there if you have you usually in your family and friends, there's people who drink and they're going to drink around you at some point. So you're always exposed to it and you always therefore have to keep updating your tools to deal with it. You know, know, it's interesting. I'm sorry, Polly. I was just going to say for anyone out there who's absolutely lost on day zero, doesn't know what to do. Reset a thousand times. Just say one thing to yourself because your brain eventually will believe it. And I started on day one because I didn't know what to do. And I said, Alcohol is irrelevant to me. And I kept repeating it and repeating it for days, for months, and I still do to this day. So when I look at a bottle, it is irrelevant to me. And your brain does believe that. And that's not a hard mantra to follow. I just think it's the biggest lie that I ever uh, let myself get into. Mm Mm-hmm. It is well, the biggest lie that I but, bought into. But we didn't know that. I mean, no. that's, you know. Well, no, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And if, for yeah, if we all know? had, uh, if we all had hindsight, we'd have good hindsight. Right. We'd have foresight. 
Um, and we wouldn't have got ourselves because like Molly said earlier, you look in the mirror and you say, how did I do this to myself? Because the only yeah, one who did it. Yeah. How did I get to this place? Mm-hmm. And well, that's that, why we're doing this, Polly, because we didn't have all these tools when we right. started. Nope. We've had, to, we've had to figure all this out. So here we are. We built yeah. a podcast, <laughs> uh, a website, and we're trying to give people the tools um, to out to where maybe they'll have a little uh, more success and it won't be so difficult for them. Um, but we cannot, yeah. I'm going to interrupt you there, Drifter, because yeah, we're building a podcast. We're building a website. We're giving people tools, but people still have to work at this. Right. You right. Get, well, you yeah, know, we're, this, yeah, nothing changes if nothing to, changes. Correct. That's not what I'm Peace, saying. Peace One always um, says that. But we're we're building something. Look, if you're, we've talked about this, Polly. If you're, if it's like, there's no, if there's just water is uh, in a pool, it's going to go stagnant. You have to have an inlet and you have to have an outlet. And that's the same thing. We have to keep moving in our sobriety. And that's why in the beginning, <laughs> I've been like, what is this sitting in it stuff? Why are everybody telling everybody to sit in it? I mean, I get it later on, but I just never could get it in the, in the early days. And this right here is a great example where we've come on here and we've talked about this uh, concept of sitting in it. And we've, we, we've, we're giving people a lot of other alternatives uh, instead of just that one choice. Well, doc, here's an expression Dr. Van Dijk uses for, here we go with it. And I don't think sitting in it is the right expression. And I don't think any of us here would tell someone to sit in it. Sit with it is, is more of an expression that I use for myself. I have to sit with whatever emotion is going on inside of me. And she she says, and um, she wrote the book, um, Calming the Emotional Storm. It's helpful to focus our attention on the present instead of wallowing in the experience while the experience is the craving. So you've got to move yourself into the present, into the, into the right now. And it, put your bikini on, get in the shower, go in the closet, clean it out, get on the computer, play chess, lace up your shoes, go for a walk. There's so many tools we can tell. And like you said about people, they, they start forming connections. And within those small connections right at the tar- start, they look to each other to find out what each other's doing to work this sober journey. And you can go back and you can see patterns you know, we can say, yeah, we did. That's one thing we did at the beginning was we distracted ourselves for seven days to get ourselves past that first week. And the first weekend, I think a lot of people find the hardest because they'll stop drinking on Monday morning after they've woken up with that hangover, that awful hangover. And they're getting to day five. And I think day five, if you've started your journey on a Monday, is a all of a sudden, day five is that little voice starting to creep in. Well, the weekend's coming. What am I going to do at the weekend? <clears throat> That's when you start reaching out. Like Molly said, you start reaching out and you start looking for your support. You start looking at your tribe and saying, the weekend's coming. I know I'm going to be struggling. What can I do? Can someone help me? And that's when people come in and they start helping. 
<clears throat> I would call it cat. He's he was he planned three day three or four days before each one of those events that he went through, and he went there and had success. And then the um, on but he kind of got like complacent on a daily on the daily part of his routine. And then if you get complacent, it will just come up and it'll 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 get you, you know. And I think he's like today he's at seventy two days. Good for him. Good for I him. mean. We're all at different stages and we've all had to learn. And I think, like Drifter said, this is this is a good tool for anybody to go and listen to. And we, you know, we'll all go on probably on on I Am Sober. Um, I haven't made my pledge yet. Anybody else made their pledge yet? I'm doing that okay. right now. <laughs> we I, I, I don't I don't I don't pledge. I'm doing it at least for a year. That's what I told myself. Yeah, me too, Molly. I said a year and then we'll see. I still do it because to me, it's in my mind as a commitment. I am committing to this. It's accountability, yeah. Yeah, I am committing to this. So I still make my pledge. 16 months later, I'm still making my pledge that today, and it's only today, today I will not drink. There's a self-pride that goes with seeing those yeah. things build. For me, there is. There just yeah. is. Because I'm just astounded. I shake my head and I look back and, and now I say, how did I get here? But I know how I got here. With damn hard work and persistence Correct. and reading and listening and with Sobertown and with friends and with everybody from IAS who's helped me and the Zooms and everything. And, Polly, you were so spot on when you said when you at least feel like doing something, you should do it. Because there are times when I've not felt like going to Zooms. I've got off and thought, yeah. that was the best meeting I ever had. Mm-hmm. So thank I don't you. normally go to the Tuesdays because it. I get so fired up from that Tuesday one. It takes me a while yeah. to, to come down <laughs> from it because the, the, you get so much support and so much positivity from these people. And it's the discovery of, well, yeah, I felt like that. So the not being alone in this journey is huge, absolutely huge. And I don't well, know. I spent three years before trying to get sober, and that three years was every day really trying. And I could not do it on my own, and I could mm-hmm. not do it until I found IAS and the community and other people uh, like-minded as me, struggling their asses off, and then I was able to get sober. And without so, you guys, I would have never done it. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. My my journey had, I really had to like love myself to get sober. I, my my self-worth and my sobriety are very much tied together because my drinking and my lack of self-worth were very much tied together. So, um, you know, there's no better way to build your confidence than to talk to other people, especially if you're like a quiet introvert like me who kind of... <laughs> you know, is, is a little averse to that at first, but, um, even just doing this today, like part of me was like, uh, I mean, I'm just going to do a meeting last night. Do I really want to do this today? But then I'm like, no, of course I do. Like, shut up brain. You know, <laughs> if it's something I don't want to do, then I should do it. And it's even more important to me. Cause like, I'm about to make like a bunch of really big life changes. And, you know, I, it's easy to fall out of routine when like everything about your life is going to change. And, um, I'm, that's the point where I'm at right now. So I'm like, if anything, I need to do this 
more now. So no, congratulations on that. That's you're yeah, um, doing another job too, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm flipping my surroundings. I'm going to be staying in a different place. I'm going to be working in a different hospital. I'm going to be working a different shift. So like, there's nothing about my life that's staying the same with the exception of like the actual work that I'm doing. Like everything else in my life is completely changing. And I had to really, really consider my sobriety when I was doing this because, um, you know, that if, if you remove all those foundations that you've built so far and you're like, what's left, like, how am I going to carry all of these lessons I learned into a new pathway? And, um, it's, I thought about it very hard for about a month before I thought that I could do it. So, um, I don't know. But your foundation is there. Your foundation is there because you've got your community, and your community mm-hmm. is never going to change. Right. Yeah, and you guys them now. are already portable anyway. Like, yeah, yeah, this is it. Exactly yeah. right. And <laughs> the, the expression they use in um, AA, it works if you work it. So work it because you're worth it. And we are worth it. We're worth happiness. We're worth being happy. And in the early days of sobriety, I don't know about you guys, but routine became important to me. I, I needed a routine. Same. Yeah. I needed a system, you know, I needed a routine of getting up, doing this. Okay. And if my routine got thrown, I got angry at it. I thought, yeah, you know, I'm just saying, yeah. Come on, stop We're interfering with my day. We need our routine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what? And Molly, also, just because you're going away doesn't mean that we are. No, we're with you, exactly. I had to realize that too, because there's, I'm a worst case scenario type person. I always go straight to like, what could happen that's the most terrible thing you know i'm like what if what if i like start you know like they, they don't like me anymore what if i start going oh. this and they kick me out you know and i'm like that's so dumb like don't and what happens if you're just fabulous the life goes on <laughs> and that's what you'll be that's what you'll be go, go into this new new environment with your cup half full yes and then gradually fill it up as you go along We actually need to get going because um, I have stuff I've got to do because um, someone got me up in an ungodly hour, Mr. Drifter, to start uh, the the engine on the train. I haven't had my breakfast yet. I desperately need another cup of tea. And this has actually been, I don't know about you guys, but I have thoroughly enjoyed this, you know, and hopefully anyone who listens to it gets a good takeaway from it that... Sobriety is not impossible. It's possible. You just have to look for your tribe, your tools, and uh, make your connections. And don't sit in it. Don't sit in it. No. (laughs) (laughs) And it can be fun. I don't know any of us that have just sat in it. Not one of us. And Uh and look, King, I I was like, who was this little Tasmanian devil? (laughs) Right? King, you were everywhere. Every friggin' where, um, every post you saw, Zooms, um, now you're all over Silvertown doing interviews. You've definitely never said in anything. And you either, Molly, I don't remember ever seeing you sitting anywhere. Well, we did what you told us to do. We confronted. Yeah, share the love and share the support. That's what I'm all about. This is it. We've loved it. Mm -hmm. Guys, we're coming into the station. Uh, Drifter, I expect you. Oh, look at that. Drifter's at the warehouse about to get his truck loaded, so he's no longer on a dark desert highway. 
Um, <laughs> every time I kept thinking of the Eagles song on a dark desert highway. <laughs> California with you guys and I, yeah. I can't get out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can in, check out anytime I want, but I can never leave, right? Correct. <laughs> You're not going Don't anywhere, mate. Not going anywhere. So uh, look at us. Uh, we got an English woman, an Australian, and a couple of Americans. So this thing, people, is global. It's global. And it doesn't matter where you are in the globe. We are here with you. Like Molly says, she's taking us with her when she goes to a new situation. So, guys, thank you so much for riding the sober train. Sobriety wow. is a beautiful life. It's a happy life. And I don't know about any of you. I don't think I've laughed so much and smiled so much. Uh, my, my, my cheeks have had a lot of exercise recently. So. <laughs> Good morning. Goodbye. Well, keep, just imagine me in a bikini. That'll keep you smiling. <laughs> Oh, my God. Wait till we tell oh Mrs. Swifter he's going to clean the shower in his in her bikini. That will be a good one. And I will say to you, no sippy, no slippy. So if you don't sip it, you won't slip off the, the sober train. And Mr. Drifter, what will you say? Pour the poison down the sink. Karina Ooh. would say, not another drop, no matter what. And King always says. What would mother do? Because she didn't drink. Yep. And Molly. <laughs> What would Molly tell someone? You deserve peace and happiness. Boom. In the words of Mr. Drifter, boom, we are at the station. Thank you guys for this. It's been a lot of fun. I'm starting my day with a huge smile. So thank you so, so much for riding the train. We will jump off now. So it's goodbye from me. Bye, guys. Bye. Hope it helps. (laughs) You've got to say goodbye, not just wave. They can't hear that. (laughs) <laughs> oh, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Bye, folks. 